five-part series, and, and a lot of times when we get to the final part of a series, I just feel one way of, of uh, celebrating that is to kind of have worship at the end. And uh, so that's kind of what we're going to do today. I'm going to bring the message. We'll end with a time of worship. Uh, this is, and it's, I know it's Memorial Day weekend, and maybe you have places to go after this. Well, here's, here's what I'll do for you. I'll watch the clock, okay? And, and so we're going to get you out of here, you know, at the usual time. We always say, figure 75 minutes. We're going to be here for 75 minutes. That doesn't sound like too much. And we'll watch the clock for you. I'm going to preach a message. We'll gather around the altar, time of worship, and we'll keep an eye on the clock. And when it's time to go, we'll let you know, and, and uh, you'll be on your way. But uh, so this is part five of what the temple tells us. Now in part four, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned that 270 tons of gold was used in the construction of the temple. It, it's, it's hard to imagine exactly how much gold that is, 270 tons. And what would you do with that much gold in the temple? And more importantly, what does it mean? What does the gold picture? What is the use of gold in the temple? What, what's it telling us? 1 Kings 6.21 says, So Solomon overlaid the house within with pure gold, and he made a partition by the chains of gold before the oracle, and he overlaid it with gold. Solomon overlaid the house of God with pure gold. Have you ever wondered what exactly is needed to be saved? It isn't faith. It isn't being born again. It isn't knowing Jesus. It isn't a personal relationship with Jesus. It isn't confessing or repenting of sin. Now before you throw me out of here for heresy, <laughs> those are the things that enable you to get what you need to be saved. So those things I listed are what you need in order to get what you need to be saved, but they aren't what you need to be saved. Ultimately, what you need to be saved is righteousness. Could it be this is what the overlaying of pure gold speaks of? Could the, the rock and the wood and the brick and the mortar of the temple covered in purest gold picture us covered in the righteousness of Christ. Revelation 3 speaks to the church of the Laodiceans, and, and the Laodiceans had lost their way. So in Revelation 3, they're told, they're counseled, it says, to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich in white raiment. The gold and the white raiment mentioned there were types of, of faith and righteousness. Today we wrap up the series on what the temple tells us. Part one, if you remember, was on the difference between the tabernacle and the temple. 
We talked about how, how God desires to tabernacle with us. We talked about how we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer, think about this. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit resides in you. In part two, we talked about the significance of the location of the temple and how it establishes once again that God knows exactly what he's doing. Part three, we talked about ten interactions that Jesus had with the temple and how these point to the fact that church is still important today. Part four was on the power of blood. We went all the way back to the first sin, all the way back to the first sacrifice. It explained, part four, explained the why of blood and the significance of blood when it comes to Christianity. By the way, if you, if you have not heard that message, if you were gone, that was two weeks ago. Last week we had the children's service. But last week, or two weeks ago, was part four, the power of blood. If you have not heard that message, I recommend that you listen to that. It's fundamental to what we believe. And, and I know that we had a little sound problem that day. We've, we've kind of remastered them, and they're louder now. So, so Mary's going to have some CDs back on the Welcome Center there. And we've fixed it on the website. And uh, you need to listen to part four. It's foundational to what we believe. This morning, the message is called Covered in Gold. It's part five, and it's the conclusion to our series on Solomon's temple. Second Chronicles chapter 3, nine verses, tells us exactly how the gold was used in the process of building the temple. So listen, as I read these verses, listen to how the gold was used. Verse 1 says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah. Remember, we talked a lot about Mount Moriah where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, or Aruna the Jebusite. And he began to build the second day, Solomon did, of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. Now these are the things wherein Solomon was instructed for the building of the house of God. The length by, by cubits after the first measure was three score cubits and the breadth twenty cubits. And the porch that was in the front of the house, the length of it was according to the breadth of the house, 20 cubits. And the height was 120, and he overlaid it within with pure gold. Verse 5, And, and the greater house he sealed with fir tree, and, which he overlaid with fine gold, and he set thereon palm trees, and chains, and he garnished the house with precious stones for beauty, and the gold was the gold of Pervam. Verse 7, he overlaid also the house, and he overlaid the beams, and he overlaid the posts, and he overlaid the walls thereof, and the doors thereof with gold. And he graved cherubim on the walls. And he made the most holy house, the length Whereof was according to the breadth of the house 20 cubits, and the breadth thereof 20 cubits, and he overlaid it with fine gold, amounting to 600 talents. Verse 9 And the weight of the nails was 50 shekels of gold. The, the nails were gold. And he overlaid the upper chambers with gold. 
1 Kings 6.21, So Solomon overlaid the house within with pure gold. It's covered in gold. What does it mean? What's the significance? What's the temple trying to tell us? So let's connect some dots this morning and let's see where it takes us. First of all, as we learned in earlier parts in the series, today, in New Testament times, we are the temple. We are the temple of God. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 says it very plainly, for you are the temple of the living God. You are the temple of the living God. Now, it doesn't seem possible that the Bible could state it any clearer, any plainer than that. I think it does in 1 Corinthians 6.19, where it says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. Your, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. This is super significant. God, think about this, God dwells in you. You are a fulfillment of the types and the shadows of the tabernacle and the temple. And the temple was overlaid in in pure gold. What could that picture in us? The answer is righteousness. We are the temple of God. We are covered in the righteousness of God. Of Jesus Christ. It speaks of sanctification. Now, sanctification is an act of separation from that which is evil and of dedication to God. Now, there are two aspects to sanctification there's positional and there's practical. Now, certainly as we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, there's a process of spiritual formation that we undertake. And that process of spiritual formation involves effort and commitment and study. We aren't working for our salvation, but we are working out our salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of works. But now that we are saved, we begin a new journey that most certainly requires something of us. This is the practical aspect to sanctification. It's a day-to-day process of growth and spiritual formation as we become more and more like Jesus as time goes by. This is not what the gold pictures. But there is another aspect to sanctification. It's positional. It's a declaration by God that we are justified, sanctified, and made holy by an act of His will. This is what the temple being overlaid with gold is telling us. This is what the temple tells us. It happened the moment you received Christ, the moment you got saved, and it changes the way you are seen by God the Father. In the moment 
that you gave your life to Christ, Jesus becomes your advocate at the right hand of the Father. And from that moment on, you are in Christ. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is therefore no condemnation for those which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Did you catch that? I am free from the law of sin and death. Why? Because I'm in Christ. And in Christ, there is absolutely no condemnation. I am free from the law of sin and death. This is all very important. Think about how God has gone out of His way to make this point to us. This is a big deal. You need to see yourself accurately if you are to accomplish the fullness of all that God has called you to do. Let me, let me say that sentence again. Because this is what the rest of this sermon is all about. You need to see yourself accurately if you are to accomplish the fullness of all that God has called you to do. You need to see yourself as covered in gold. You need to see yourself as covered in the righteousness of Christ. Now I'm going to cite an unrelated verse, James 5.16, as an example of why this is important. James 5.16, familiar verse. Confess your faults one to another, pray one for another, that you may be healed. The effectual and fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's a great Bible verse. Now, our problem after reading this verse is the question looming in our mind that we never voice. And the question is, am I a righteous man? Am I a righteous woman? In God's eyes, am I righteous? Now, th there are two answers to that question. Practically, you fall short. We all do. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But positionally, you have been declared righteous. You are righteous not because of who you are. You're righteous because of who Jesus is. A rich man came across a beggar, and in his compassion, he wrote the beggar out a check for $100,000, and he, and he pointed to a bank down the street where the beggar could go cash the check. Several weeks later, the rich man walked by the, the same spot and saw the same beggar wearing the same clothes, begging in the same way. And the rich man went to the beggar and he said, didn't you cash the check? Where's the check that I gave you? And the beggar pulled the crumpled check out of his pocket. And he handed it back to the rich man. And he said, I didn't bring it to the bank because no one would ever believe that I had $100,000. The rich man uncrumpled the check. And he pointed to his signature. 
And he said, you see that signature? That's what says you have $100,000. It's my signature that accesses the bank into my account. And that's what says you have $100,000. And that's what happens the moment that you give your life to Jesus. He signs the check of your life and you are declared holy. You are declared righteous. You are justified and you are sanctified positionally. You go from a, from a sinner to a saint. You go from lost to found. You go from walking in darkness to being a child of the light. Make no mistake about it. If you're a believer, you are declared righteous in Christ. How sad that many of us have never cashed the check. It's still crumpled in our pocket. It's time we cash the check. It's time we lay hold of what God has given to us. It's time that we begin to see ourselves as declared righteous by an act of God. It's time we stop living like sinners and begin living like saints. It's time we stop acting defeated and begin to walk in the victory that Jesus has already won on our behalf. It's time we stop operating in fear and instead step boldly into the fullness of the Holy Ghost. It's time we lay claim to our giftings. It's time we stop wondering if God can use us and instead accept the calling of God upon our lives. It's time we begin to see ourselves as part of the royal priesthood of believers. It's time we assume our rightful place as members of the family of God. It's time we begin to see ourselves as created by God, declared righteous by God, sanctified by God, commissioned by God, called by God, and ordained to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. That's, that's you. That's exactly who you are, not because you're good enough to be all that, but because God has called you to be all that. God has signed the check of your life, and that gives you access into His account. Listen, I battle this all the time. Why am am I the pastor? I, I certainly don't feel qualified I never feel like a reverend. I absolutely positively know that I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And yet somehow, next month, I'll begin my 10th year as pastor. Now, none of this makes any sense to me. I still pinch myself every morning as I turn into the driveway. There are still times I'm, I'm overwhelmed with the responsibility and the weight of the job. I often feel inadequate and ill-equipped to be all that you need. I'm here for one reason and one reason only. God called me. I remember being interviewed by the search committee here at Central Assembly Back in 2009, there were, these were people, remember, that I knew well. After all, this is my home church. And I wondered what I could say in that interview that they didn't already know about me. 
And when it was all said and done, sometime after I was already pastor, as we recounted that interview, Eunice Ellison, who was on that search committee, and who, by the way, I have a tremendous amount of respect for, said that as she listened to me, she waited for me to mention that I was called. That's all she cared about. If God called me, she was in. And I did speak of the call in that interview. I mentioned how I had not only felt called into ministry, but I was called specifically to Central Assembly. I guess that was enough for Eunice. And now, still today, I walk in that calling. I have to. I don't have enough in and of myself. If I don't walk in the calling, I'll, I'll lack the boldness, I'll lack the confidence that, that I need in order to be all that I can be. You see, I'm empowered not by my education. I'm empowered not by my gifts. I'm empowered not by the district office. I'm empowered by the call of God. That's the signature on the check that enables me to get up day after day, week after week, and do what I do. And you need to walk in your calling. After all, you're a child of God. You're called by the most precious name on the face of the earth. You're a Christian. You're an ambassador for Christ. You're a holy one of God. You're a son of the king. You're a daughter of the king. You're a joint heir with Jesus. You're a chosen vessel of God. You're not just adequate in Christ. In Christ, you are more than enough. You are blessed of God. You are highly favored of God and highly favored in the world. And in Christ, there is nothing you cannot accomplish. And now it's time that you begin to live that way. You need to walk with your head held high. You need to lay claim to what's rightfully yours. You need to become all that you can be. And you need to become all that you are called to be for the kingdom's sake. We cannot settle. Hear me, church. We cannot settle for less. We cannot live with God's signed check crumpled in our pocket. We have to embrace the authority that he has entrusted to us. We have to cash the check and begin to invest what he has entrusted to us in ministry and into the lives of others. That's what, that's what God is trying to tell us when he covered the rudimentary elements of the world, the stone, the brick, the mortar, with the most precious element known to man, gold. The temple would be seen as though it was gold, even though at its core it was made of, of wood and stone. It was, it was covered in gold. And it speaks of a righteousness that comes by faith. What saith the Scriptures, Romans 4.3 says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. Righteousness was credited to Abraham's account because he believed God. It was a righteousness that comes 
by faith. Philippians 3.9 says, And being found in him, not having my own righteousness, being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. It's a fascinating verse. Not having my own righteousness, which is found of the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Romans 9.30, what shall we say then that the, this is fascinating, what shall we say then that the Gentiles who didn't even pursue righteousness, they weren't even trying to be righteous. Picture the Jews with the law and all the rituals and all the feasts and everything that they did day by day. Then we get this verse that says, the Gentiles, they're not even trying to be righteous. And they've attained righteousness, a righteousness that comes by faith. Romans 1.17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's the check God handed to us. It's a righteousness we cannot earn. We must simply believe enough to cash the check. I'm going to read six verses of Scripture all together. It's Romans 3, 21 through 26. Beginning of verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law. There we go again. The righteousness of God without the law is manifested, or another word there would be revealed. The righteousness of God without the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by faith in Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. Now you get verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you think you're righteous because you're, you're better than anybody else, the fact of the matter is you fall short. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the righteousness is by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Back to another part in the series. Through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sin that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, verse 26, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. So let me bring this to a close and I'll ask the worship team to return. 1 Kings 6.21 So Solomon overlaid the house within with pure gold. So Solomon built a building. It was just a building. It was made with wood and stone. But what set it apart was the gold. All the beggarly elements of the world were covered in gold. Pure gold. No one in the temple would see the wood. No one would see the stone that was cut out of a dirty old quarry somewhere. They would only see gold. Pure gold. And if you 
Trust in Jesus. When God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees only gold, pure gold. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Practically, if you're anything like me, there's still work to do. But positionally, positionally, you are declared righteous. You are covered in gold. You are covered in the righteousness of Christ. That's what the temple tells us. So let me wrap up this series with, with a couple of quick thoughts that ask something of you. First of all, if you're not saved, righteousness is your only hope of salvation. The Bible teaches in numerous places and in numerous ways that, that the nature of God, His nature is incompatible with sin. It's like putting a, a snowball in a wood stove. I don't think it's that God, if you sin, God despises you and he just doesn't want to be around you. I don't think it's that at all. It's that God's nature, his holiness, is incompatible with sin. And so God is doing everything that he can to make our natures compatible. So how did he do that? He sent Jesus Christ into the world. Because the righteousness of the law had to be satisfied. I hear people say all the time, well, God has to forgive me. And I, I think to myself, where, where did you get that idea? God doesn't have to do anything. In reality, the righteousness of the law must be satisfied. So how is the righteousness of the law satisfied? It's satisfied with atonement. It's satisfied with the sacrifice of blood. Remember Cain and Abel? They both brought a sacrifice. You remember that story? Cain was a farmer. He brought his produce. Abel was a, was a herdsman and he brought an animal sacrifice. And God didn't accept Cain's. And sometimes we look at that and we think, well, what's up with that? He brought the best of his produce. He was a farmer. Why didn't God accept that? God didn't accept it because it wasn't on God's terms. By the shedding of blood comes the remission of sin. What Cain should have done was used his crop to buy an animal, to bring a sacrifice that would be on God's terms. And so you trying to be good, you trying to establish your own righteousness isn't coming on God's terms. You fall short. So God said, if you want to be saved, you have to do it on my terms. You already fall short. So he sent Jesus. Jesus paid the price for our sins. He shed his blood. And now it's up to you to respond to that. So you put your faith in that. You believe in that. You trust in that. And you recognize that my hope of salvation isn't in my goodness. My hope of salvation is in what Jesus did for me. And when I begin to realize that, it changes my life. It changes me from the inside out. Imagine if somebody saved your life, you'd want to you'd somehow repay them, right? 
when I discovered what Jesus did for me, I wanted to live for him. I realized how much he loved me. I realized that his ways were best. And so I set aside my ways. And I began to live for him. So that's if you're not saved. But for the believers that are here, there's an issue, there's the issue of that check that's crumpled in your pocket. No, we're not taking another offering. It has to do with not seeing yourself as God sees you. And that's what keeps us from accomplishing all that God desires to do in us and through us. So that James 5:16, the effectual and fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If I see myself as righteous in Christ, it's not my own righteousness, it's righteous in Christ. If I see myself as righteous in Christ, then I can pray fervently and effectually. Why? Because of who I am? No, because of who Jesus Christ is. I can be the vessel that he can flow through, and I can lay hands on somebody and pray fervently and affectionately. I, I, can, I can pray believing that God is going to do something, not worried about my righteousness, because I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You've got to take that crumpled check out of your pocket and begin to see yourself as God sees you. God wants to do so much more in you and through you than you're allowing him to do right now. That's our key to victory. And we keep saying, oh, I'm not sure I'm good enough. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have the... Operate in the call of God. Operate by faith in what Jesus has called you to do. Step into it. Begin to, to, to walk in it. Live it. You're not a sin. Practically, you're a sinner. Positionally, you're a saint. That's what God has declared you to be. It's 22 minutes after. We're going to spend some time in worship as this series comes to a close. And my hope and my desire, and, and typically we end at 1145, I'll watch the clock for you. So you can, you can let time go, all right? I'll watch the clock. The altar's open. You can come and kneel down we had a worship night on Wednesday night. And a little girl, I don't know how old she how old she is. She's probably eight. She came and knelt down right here by herself. Prayed. When you come, would you do this? First of all, if you don't know Jesus, would you just give your life to him? Just lay it on the altar. Just say, God, it's, it's yours. Forgive my sin. Cleanse me from all my unrighteousness by the blood of Jesus. Give your life to him. But if you're a believer, then, then come and say, God, help me to walk in the victory that you've already won in me. Help me not to hold back based on who I am or who the world thinks I am. 
but help me to live the victory that you've called me to. Cash the check that has his signature on it. And so as we begin to worship, I want to call you back to another part of the sermon. It was the dedication of the temple. Remember that message? And as they gathered and they sacrificed these animals, the Bible says something that fascinates me. It says that the the presence of God filled the room. And it says that the priests couldn't minister any longer because the presence of God filled the room. That's, That's my dream come true, that I'd be out of a job because the presence of God filled this place. And we were following him, operating in his presence, experiencing him on that kind of level. I don't know how that happens other than surrender. Surrender. So the altar is open. All watch the clock. I know you've got problems. You've got life. Let's let that go for 20 minutes. It'll be there when we're done. Let it go. Spend 20 minutes in the presence of God and see what he would say to you this morning.